Welcome to the Luke Messias Show. Well, the Republican primary is just around the corner. We had a couple last-minute announcements of retirements in the State House, in Congress. We'll talk about how those affect each and every one of y'all. What I'm also going to focus on today is, are you ready for next year? Am I ready for next year? All the conservatives in Texas are going to have to do to organize, to grow, to protect the Republican Party, to move our state to the right, to hold those accountable who are teaming up with Democrats. It's electoral in nature. It's partisan in nature. It's just our culture of Texas as a whole. So we're going to have a conversation today about what we're doing to prepare for next year. Let's get to the show. I hope y'all had a blessed Thanksgiving. Uh, we are blessed to have a ton of family in San Antonio. Uh, for those of you who don't know, I've got four of my six siblings that live within about 15 minutes of me. And my wife has six siblings that live in the city limits of San Antonio, more or less. And so um, our family gatherings are often and they are full. And so Thursday and Friday were two very full days of celebrating Thanksgiving. As we start the new year, and I'll get into that in just a little bit, uh, we are going to have a bigger discussion today about kind of what we are doing to prepare for all that needs to be done. But I'm going to start by just highlighting a couple things that happened in the last week since the last episode. So one is that Dan Patrick put out a very clear delineating statement on school choice and about Speaker Phelan. He said some members who voted against school choice attended private schools themselves or send their kids or grandkids to private schools. Now they are denying that right to their constituents. If every House Republican or Democrat who has used private schools voted for school choice, it may have passed. He then went on to say, Speaker Dade Phelan didn't help either. Phelan abstained from voting on school choice. Talk about a lack of leadership. It's hard to pass school choice when the speaker is too cowardly to vote for it himself. And a good example of when Speaker Phelan cast votes are things like the impeachment of Ken Paxson. When that vote came up, the Speaker said, show the Speaker voting I." And the reason the Speaker will do that at times is basically to send a message to the entire chamber. If you vote wrong on this issue, you're voting against me. This is personal. This is something I care about. Did he do that on school choice? No. In fact, Justin Holland, one of the leading opponents to school choice, the day that the school choice bill died, announced that he had been tapped by Dade Phelan to chair the Sunset Advisory Committee. This is the committee that during the interim looks at all the state agencies that are going to be sunsetted, meaning they will stop existing, if we don't pass a bill to continue their existence. This is a coveted position that is great for fundraising because any and all lobbyists who have any interests in the continuation of a certain state agency need to be your friend. And so Dave Phelan going into a re-election campaign for Justin Holland, which is likely to be contentious because Justin, I mean, literally voted for gun control, voted with teacher unions, voted to support the speaker, tried to impeach the attorney general. Not an ideal record if you're going to go back to your very conservative district and tell them you're a conservative Republican. So while Justin Holland is likely preparing for a very contentious re-election campaign, Dave Phelan is on the day that he's teaming up with teacher union saying, hey, I'm going to put you in a primo spot 
to help position you well for getting the maximum amount of lobby dollars possible for your re-election campaign. That is what the speaker is doing. So not only is he abstaining and not voting on school choice, kind of sending a message to the chamber, hey, vote however y'all want. But he's also then platforming and promoting these individual Republicans who are voting with teacher unions. So Dan Patrick is right to criticize him. After that criticism, Governor Greg Abbott came out and endorsed 58 Republican state representatives for re-election. Now, I disagree with many of those that the governor decided to endorse for re-election. In fact, some of them are very, very liberal Republicans. One good example is J.C. Jaton, who's a Republican who we've talked about on this show, voted to literally give more taxpayer dollars to mental health facilities that are socially transitioning children, and opposed policy that would have, all it would have said was, hey, this money just can't go to a facility that's socially transitioning kids. So you can build mental health care facilities on the taxpayer dime, money that we could spend on property tax relief. But if you're going to do it, make sure it's not going to these sick indoctrination programs run by transgender ideologues. And J.C. Jaton voted with 11 Republicans to say, no, I want that money to go to those institutions. So J.C. Jaton, and like Rice University has him as one of the 10 or 15 most liberal Republican state representatives in Texas. So that's a good example of somebody who the governor endorsed for re-election that I disagree with. He also came out and endorsed Nate Shatzlein and Steve Toth and Brian Harrison and Tony Tinderholt, some very conservative fighters in the legislature. Now, the governor has made school choice the deciding issue for him. Okay, so if you are a single issue voter in Texas and school choice is your deciding issue, it is the sole most important thing for you. And when I say sole, not even most important, it's the sole issue for you. To, to some extent, that is kind of how the governor is operating going into the primary. This is not a bad thing for conservatives. This actually might benefit conservatives more than the governor has benefited conservatives in past primaries. And I'll get to that in a second. But he came out and endorsed 58 Republican legislators. So basically, if you're a Republican state representative that was right on the issue of school choice, the governor is supporting your re-election. And he is right now withholding support from all Republicans who voted against school choice and with the teacher unions. Now, again, this is where we have a real opportunity because Governor Abbott pretty much drugged several of those Republicans across the finish line. Glenn Rogers is one of the clearest examples an individual, very liberal Republican state representative from just west of Fort Worth in Parker, Palo Pinto, and Stevens counties. Glenn Rogers almost lost his reelection by a couple hundred votes, and Governor Greg Abbott went in there, got very involved in supporting Rogers' reelection. Rick Perry got very involved, went to the district, did a tour of the district with Glenn Rogers. Rick Perry put out a statement right before the school choice vote and said, I will be supporting those who side with parents and students on the school choice issue. Now, I pointed out on Twitter, uh, I still call it Twitter, by the way. Some people call it X. I just, I can't get there right now. But I pointed out on Twitter that Rick Perry did not say that he would not support you if you voted wrong. He just said he would support those who voted right. So I'm not sure Rick Perry could still show up to those counties and say, hey, this guy might just be a teacher in a show, but... He's my teacher union shill and bring him back to the legislature. But I don't think that will happen with Governor Greg Abbott. And right now, Abbott is sending a message that says, hey, those Republicans who side of a teacher unions, they won't get my support. Now, the question that everyone's asking is, 
At what point will I come out against many of those people? He said there is an easy way and a hard way to pass school choice. And these legislators seem to have opted for the hard way. So there is anticipated action coming from the governor and his campaign against these Republicans. Again, a great opportunity. Many of us are fighting a bigger battle going into the primary season. And it, the battle is about changing the culture of the Texas House of Representatives. And this is a battle I feel like I've been engaged with my entire time in Texas politics. One of the things that, in a sense, put me on the map, which is kind of an, an, an overstatement because I'm still not really on the map, but let's just say within this niche area of Texas politics, one of the things that put me on the map was in 2010, we had this red wave. And we had almost a super majority of Republicans in the Texas House of Representatives. So in my opinion, Joe Strauss, who had just been elected in 2009, shouldn't be reelected. And so I launched a website, stopjoestrauss.com. And at 20 years old, I was actually an SEO guy. I was doing online internet marketing. And so I had some ideas of ways to help my website rank. And so I bought stopjoestrauss.com. I paid a friend of mine like 80% of the money in my checking account to build the website. And then I just blogged on it every day. I talked about different state representatives who had run on different platform issues and why they couldn't vote for Joe Strauss. So I took every individual elected state representative and basically made a case for why each of them shouldn't vote for Joe Strauss for re-election. And I started writing about other stuff as well, kind of the news about Joe Strauss and organizing a couple hundred activists for signing up for my emails and sending them out. I ended up being featured in like a couple of TV articles and some other blog posts that were all written. They said I was funded by West Texas billionaires, which is really funny. Um, and then one person said I was funded by David Barton. So, and I knew David Barton, but I, not well. I just had an email address for him. So I emailed him and I said, hey, I'm working for you. I haven't received compensation. I don't have any money. I literally have like $500 in my checking account. But hey, just FYI, if I am your employee, I don't know it. My bank account doesn't know it either. But the conversation that we were having at the time was that the Texas House needed to do better. It needed to move in a different direction. So this battle that I'm fighting and that many of you are fighting about changing the culture of the Texas House is not a new battle. It's not a recent battle. And it wasn't a personality battle. See, this is where some people made a mistake. A lot of people thought the reason we don't like Joe Strauss is because his name is Joe and his last name is Strauss. Meaning they thought that it was personality driven. As long as you get rid of Joe Strauss, you'll have a better speaker. And that's not true. See, the problem was that the Texas House institutionally was run on this coalition style government of Democrats and Republicans. And under Joe Strauss, that coalition was obvious. It was in your face. The Democrats had literally handpicked him. So when we got rid of him and he decided not to run for re-election, the thought was, oh, well, conservatives have gotten what they wanted. They got rid of the liberal Republican speaker whose wife was on the board of Planned Parenthood. But that's not what we wanted. What we wanted was a Texas House that was actually responsive to grassroots Republican conservatives. And then Dennis Bonin came in and we had one of those purple sessions in Texas history. And then he left and we got Dade Phelan. You know, just over the holiday weekend, Kay Bailey Hutchison tweeted out, I, you've done a great job leading the Texas House today. 
She tweeted this out. She rarely tweets. But this is what she said. Did you know you can watch Texas Scorecard on your TV? If you have a Roku or Apple TV device, download the free Texas Scorecard app. There you can find all the great Texas Scorecard video content, like daily headlines, The Luke Messia Show, Heads Up, and Scorecard documentaries. Download the Texas Scorecard app for free on Roku or Apple TV. He has a picture that he posts on Twitter of like all the suits that he's worn every session. It's like the same suit. So he posts this picture of all these suits. Kay Bailey Hutchison retweets him and she says, you have done a great job leading the Texas House. And so there's a bunch of people out there that basically say conservatives that are criticizing Dade Phelan, conservatives that are criticizing Dade Phelan just don't get it. They just, they just want like the craziest right-wingest speaker you could possibly have. Look, Kate Bailey Hutchison probably voted for Joe Biden. I'm to be honest. Okay. Like Kate Bailey Hutchison is as liberal Republican as it gets in Texas. And I don't even know if she's a Republican. Here's the thing. There are those in our party that believe that they're the only enlightened ones. They think that the Democrats who say, hey, I'm a good effing soldier for Dave Phelan. I'm just quoting what he said. He actually said the real word. I'm a good effing soldier for Dave Phelan. Okay? They think those Democrats really don't get it. They don't realize they're getting played. They think that Kay Bailey Hutchison and Associated Republicans of Texas and all the other more liberal Republicans in this state that are like, Dade's our guy. They think, oh, they don't get it. He's playing them. They think all the conservatives that say Dave Phelan really is a conservative, they don't get it. See, Briscoe Kane and Jared Patterson and Cody Vasu, several of these other Republicans, they think that they get it. That only they get it. Some on the SREC, the State Republican Executive Committee, have this same kind of mentality. Like, the moderates don't get it. The Democrats who think they've got a good speaker don't get it. The conservative Republicans who are criticized the speaker don't get it. Nope, only me get it. So what we're fighting for is a change in the culture of the Texas House. And Governor Greg Abbott looks poised to potentially help us get rid of some of the liberal Republicans in the legislature. And at a minimum, abstain from getting involved in rescuing them, which is what he did two years ago and four years ago with Glenn Rogers. We wouldn't have Glenn Rogers without Governor Greg. So I, for one, am grateful that he is reevaluating the way he will participate in the primary in a way that seems like it will greatly benefit conservative Republicans who are trying to move our state in the right direction. Andrew Murr announced he's retiring. He is the one who led the effort to impeach Ken Paxton. He told everybody, you're going to see all the facts when we get to the Senate. Uh, that was a lie. They didn't have facts. He came out with this very flowery statement and all the Democrats said he was one of the best statesmen that ever existed. I, back in September, I just tweeted out, I predict that Andrew Murr will not run for re-election. And I did so because I really did think, uh, there were a bunch of things running through my head at the time. One was that the fact that he was willing to go out on this plank on impeachment initially told me he might just be ready. Sometimes they'll tap people that are kind of thinking about hanging it up just to say, hey, you want to go out in a blaze of glory? 
impeach the sitting attorney general, unelect a statewide official? If the impeachment was upheld by the Senate, I could have seen the situation where he's like, okay, maybe I'll stick around. Maybe I'll ride this kind of momentum into next session to see what date will get me. But when the Senate did the right thing and acquitted the attorney general, I thought it was almost certain at that point that Andrew Murr would not run for re-election. So he announced later in the cycle than normal that he would not seek re-election after voting with the teacher unions to kill school choice. And so this, again, gives us a great opportunity to get a conservative Republican elected to replace a very conservative district that has been represented by somebody who is not one of the, let's say, 10 most liberal Republicans in the Texas House, but he's on the liberal, maybe third, liberal half on any given day. And so this is a great opportunity. Also, Michael Burgess, congressman from the Denton area, North Texas area, announced he's not running for re-election. And the thing Michael Burgess is most notable for, in my opinion, is that he tried to move the voting age to 16. This Republican said that we as a party are too scared of the youth. And we need to encourage participation in the process. And he, I think he filed some, I remember this Fox News interview where he like filed a bill, came out and said, if you're 16 or 17, you should be able to vote. I think we can all look at that situation and say, clearly Congressman Michael Burgess had been there a little too long. So I, for one, I'm very happy that he has also announced his retirement. A gentleman named Brandon Gill, for those of you who are following that, that will likely be a relatively well, uh, a relatively crowded field. Open congressional seats tend to have four, five, six, seven people that run that are all like somewhat serious contenders. Brandon Gill is Dinesh D'Souza's son-in-law, is a conservative activist across the nation in his own right, um, has a relatively impressive business background. And so that is a candidate who I'm kind of looking at in that area as somebody very viable. And I, I've talked about this in the past, but the congressional delegation in Texas has gotten consistently more conservative every two years. This is a great opportunity for us to continue to make sure that when congressmen retire, they are replaced with somebody considerably more conservative than them. And it gives us a Texas delegation that is actually fighting for our values in D.C. So I want to ask you the question of whether or not you are ready for next year. I kind of have already started my new year. Um, for those of you who follow the church calendar, and as uh, a Lutheran, that's uh, one thing that we do. We follow the historical church calendar. And so this last Sunday was the last Sunday of the church year. We enter the season of Advent as our new year. And there's a lot of benefits to that. One is that you get to kind of put yourself on a different timeline than the rest of the world. Um, the season of Advent is not just something to celebrate on the 24th and 25th of December, but really an entire season of anticipation. I'm not only the Christ child that came, but Christ's ultimate return. To some extent, though, I, I feel like when we enter December, we kind of talk, my favorite talks about what, what are we going to do with this new year we have, not the new year that is to come. So to some extent... January 1, when everybody like starts the new year, I kind of feel like we've gotten a head start. And 
to some extent, I want to invite you into that as you look ahead at what we are preparing for. We need to hold those accountable who have been holding back all of the cultural, political, and policy victories that are literally on the five and 10 yard line. And these aren't just victories we fight in order to win. These are victories that we fight for in order to preserve some semblance of the society we have, to protect the most innocent among us, our children, those who can have their lives taken away from them, those who can be subjected to the sexual sin that is so pervasive in our culture at young ages. These are the type of things we're talking about. And yes, we're also talking about preserving the integrity of our elections, which is also important to kind of holding a society together. But there are some other really basic things that we are fighting for. I hope that you're ready for this next year. I hope that you're ready for the work that you're going to have to do. Maybe your district in particular is a battleground area. If it's not, I'm sure there is some area relatively close. I remember in 2008, I'd wake up Saturday morning at 4.30 in the morning with one or two of my friends. I was 18 years old. And we would drive to Arlington, Texas. And we would block walk on the weekends for Bill Zedler, who was a, now a former state representative from Tarrant County, still a good friend. And then during the early voting time, I like took time off of my work to drive up there, stayed with a friend, and just went to the polls every single day for 12 hours a day to try to keep Bill in the Texas House. And he lost that year. That was the year Obama got elected. And there was a wave of Democrats all across the Metroplex as well that got elected on that wave. But I hope you're ready to spend yourself in a worthy cause. I hope you're getting ready for a contentious GOP state convention. I wish it wasn't going to be, but I will tell you that the moderate forces that have been losing consistently for the last decade are absolutely organizing to go to the next state convention and try to water down the Republican Party of Texas. They want to elect more moderate SREC members who are organizing now more than ever against our conservative leadership in the, in the state party with Matt Rinaldi. They want to water down our platform. They want to water down our rules. They want to water down the legislative priorities. So you need to engage on every single level. If you haven't gone to a state convention, now is the year to go. June or end of May in San Antonio, you have to go to your precinct convention after the primary. You have to participate in the precinct convention. You have to ask to go to the county convention or your SD convention, which you will be allowed to go to. And when you get there, just apply for state convention attendance and go and be a delegate and be one of the thousands of Republicans that are voting to establish the priorities and the policies and the values of what is going to define the Texas GOP moving forward. I hope you're ready for that. We are building. They are tearing down. They are trying to preserve what they have. And what the moderates have in Texas is that there's a couple little vestiges of power that they have preserved, which have allowed them the ability to be caretakers of societal decline. Okay. So understand that like their identity is in their power. They have to hold on to it, but they don't know what they want to do with it. So they're just holding on to it and they're fighting to have it. So we're building. 
you, I hope you're ready to build coalitions this year because there are so many opportunities to work with so many people, people that you won't agree with all the time, but will agree with on a couple really important issues that will align you in such a way to say, hey, we want to hold this same Republican accountable and we want to push these same conservative values. I hope you're ready to build coalitions. I hope you're ready to hold Republicans accountable. I hope you're ready to be more engaged and involved than you've ever been before because what we are saving in Texas is something I think is worth fighting for. So enter this season. Enter the next several weeks as you're in the holidays and you're going to parties and everything's slowing down a little bit. Take yourself into a time of preparation, of considering all that it's going to take in 2024 for conservatives to accomplish very important task we have of holding some people accountable, of protecting others who are fighting for us, preserving what we have, and of moving our state to the right. May God bless you, and may God bless the great state of Texas. Thank you for listening to The Luke Macias Show. To find out more information about what's going on here in Texas, visit texasscorecard.com.